Cradle to Cradle is a set of design principles which was developed in the 1990s by Professor Dr. Michael Brongart, William McDonough, and EPEA Hamburg. The Cradle to Cradle C2C paradigm reframes design as a positive regenerative force, just like nature, promoting infinite circulation of materials and nutrients in cycles. Rather than seeking to minimize the harm we inflict, this paradigm shift reveals opportunities to improve quality, increase value, and spur innovation. It inspires us to constantly seek improvement in our designs and to share our discoveries with others. How might cradle-to-cradle principles guide us to reimagine our cities? Hi, and welcome to Moonshot City. I'm Juhi Sharif, and I'm here with Preeti Ambani, and together we're exploring the big questions around what makes a resilient and regenerative city. Today, we're delighted to welcome our guest, Katya Hansen. Katya implements a cradle-to-cradle design framework with government agencies, NGOs, and companies. Her pioneering work includes the co-development of cradle-to-cradle initiatives in Latin America, Africa, and Europe on agrochemicals, water, and nutrient recycling, and natural and synthetic fibers. She co-engineered the Carlsberg Circular Community announced at the 2014 World Economic Forum and co-founded the Healthy Printing Initiative. Katya also co-created the Horizon 2020 BAMP project, Buildings as Material Banks, and has been advising various agencies in Luxembourg on circular economy topics. Hi, Katya. Hi, Juhi. Hi, Pretty. So, Katya, thank you for joining us. You are a pioneer in cradle-to-cradle, C2C principles. Tell us a little bit about what are these principles and what is their relationship to the circular economy? All right. Well, Cradle to Cradle has a philosophical background that you actually introduced to start the show. And it's really, really important to understand the philosophy behind it before you get to the principles. And um, the philosophy basically is that we have to try to be beneficial again rather than less bad. And with your relationship in New Zealand to the Maori culture, the wording that we use is becoming native to the planet again. And I think that might fit quite well with the target, the direction that you're taking with these podcasts. So for us, it is really important to frame the whole setup. It's not the environment and humans and what humans have done to the environment. Rather, it's us being part of the environment, being part of this planet and becoming native again. So despite all the influence that we've had on this planet uh, on terraforming, it's really important to see what good we can do rather than being less bad, which has been the driver in the environmental movement for the past 30 plus years. We have had a lot of influence and most of it has been bad or much of it has been bad. And so it's really important to stress what we could actually positively do to be effective and efficient at the same time. So the goal is to be 
regenerative by design. And that's what can be addressed with the three cradle-to-cradle principles, which are uh, normally referred to in the cradle-to-cradle design framework. The first principle talks about everything being a resource for something else or a nutrient for something else. And that's very much borrowed from nature where there isn't any waste, but the waste of one system is food for the next system. So being a resource for something else is a guiding principle and we'll get to what exactly that means uh, a little later. Then the second principle is uh, using current solar income. And that, of course, speaks to renewable energies, but in a bit of a broader understanding in that we have direct solar income like photovoltaics and solar thermal, but we also have derived solar income such as in uh, stored solar energy, geothermal, etc., And then the third principle talks about diversity. And we are looking at three kinds of diversity. The first one should be commonly known, although I'm always shocked at how few people actually relate to it truly, and that is biodiversity. The other thing that is really important, and uh, Europeans understand it quite well, um, and many other cultures, is cultural diversity. So We can't measure everything with the same approach. And the third one is um, innovation. So intellectual diversity, really driving innovation and the approach for thinking out of the box. Katia, can you talk more about how these principles apply to projects? These three principles are the principles that we've been using to develop cradle-to-cradle projects. And in a lot of the trainings that I do on cradle-to-cradle, I cannot overemphasize how important it is to understand the three principles and then actually implement them. So we have the philosophy, understanding where we want to go with cradle-to-cradle. We have these three principles. And then we have implementation tools. And cradle-to-cradle certification is one of those implementation tools. We also have cradle-to-cradle roadmaps. We have cradle-to-cradle imagineering sessions. We have design for disassembly. We have defined use scenarios. All of those are tools that help us implement cradle to cradle. And that leads directly into the second part of your question, and that is how does it relate to the circular economy? Well, cradle to cradle, as you said, has been around for 30 years plus. And the goal is really to not have a bottom line approach, but a triple top line. So Uh, being positive and beneficial for people and equity, for environment and for economy. The circular economy is quite a recent kit on the block, if you might say so. It has made big waves, but the emphasis, at least from my experience, is very much on the economic aspect of things, whereas Cradle to Cradle really looks at it in a holistic, integrative way and a system approach. And originally, we worked very closely with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation when they started their journey on the circular economy. 
And through their excellent work and communication, I would say they are one of the core organizations who have actually promoted circular economy on a global scale. The important thing is cradle to cradle, as it says in the word, is really regenerative by design. So that is taken up by the circular economy. Although my experience is that the guiding framework that I just explained exists for cradle to cradle is does not exist for the circular economy. So that's where it is very similar to the sustainability discussion that we're having in that it means many things to many different people and uh, you are lacking the guiding framework. And that is what I always find helps implementing cradle-to-cradle projects because you actually have the principles, you have the tools, so you have a guiding framework. And so that's why, from our perspective, um, cradle-to-cradle is really powering the circular economy, but with a view to a much more integrated and balanced approach to equity, environment and economy. Katya, it's great to hear your view about the cradle-to-cradle principles and how they can be applied, particularly from a native approach. Because for us at Moonshot City, we are absolutely learning about how important Indigenous wisdom is, and also the celebration of diversity that you talked about, of biological diversity, cultural diversity, and diversity of innovation. I think for too long, we've been trying to create simple solutions for very complex problems, And of course, nature is not simple. Natural systems are incredibly complex. So diversity in solutions um, and the solutions we create is incredibly important. Could you talk more about the synergies and differences with other concepts such as biomimicry and industrial ecology? Because of course, there are a lot of overlaps. Well, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more that uh, the challenges that we face in in trying to address this is the complexity of it. And I think everyone has the tendency to try to pick one topic and one issue and try to work with it. I have an engineering background and uh, I know that most of our training is problem solving. So we're given a problem We don't normally question if that problem was described in the right way and then we're looking for a solution. We hardly ever ask, was that the right question to ask? So we all sort of have to step back a bit and learn to question things in a different way with the kind of imagination that little kids have who see the world anew because we're all quite conditioned by the time we've gone through school and university and then start our jobs, um, we have a lot of blinders on. And I think one of the really important things and the big challenges is to always try to see the bigger picture. And cradle to cradle is very much about abundance. And I think I said in the introduction that becoming native to the planet and having a broader integrated approach is what is represented also in those three principles. Nature doesn't work with minimization. So a lot of our sustainability measures have been to say we need to minimize and reduce because we feel that 
our human burden on the planet is just becoming too much. And that's a, an understandable response. If I'm running out of water, I try to conserve it. If I'm running out of materials, I will try to conserve them first. But coming back to what I said just a minute ago, the question is, how could I do this better? How could I do this in a different way? So how could I be more effective in these things I do, in the products I have, in the systems I design and work with, rather than trying to be just efficient? Because nature obviously had the advantage of millions of years of trial and error and developing things. So there's a lot we can learn. And biomimicry, of course, is the science of trying to figure out how nature is doing certain things. And there are some really, really nice examples on what we could learn if we look at nature in a different way. But we need to avoid just trying to copy it in an engineering approach and say, well, what kind of sticky substance is this gecko using to climb up um, vertical walls and, and things like that? It needs to still try to mimic the complexity of the natural systems where one feeds another and it is a complex network of things. So Cradle to Cradle tries to account for that. And the design framework describes something in positive ways. You will not hear what we hear in, in a lot of other approaches that are more restrictive, saying this is free of something bad, this is free of lead. It still doesn't positively define what is in the material. So if I invite you for dinner and I say I won't feed you chicken, you still don't know what I'll feed you. So our communication needs to be turned around to more positively describe what it is that we're doing. And our target, of course, is the big beneficial footprint. And again, that's what we're trying to take from nature as much as possible where minimization is rarely the method that gets us anywhere. It has to be an abundance of beneficial impacts. And that's what I think differentiates cradle to cradle. I pointed the differences uh, to circular economy. Biomimicry uh, certainly is an important aspect. And so is, for example, the concept of industrial ecology. But they're all more narrowly defined, I would say, from my understanding. I think the point you're making, Katia, about the abundance paradigm is so important when we're communicating about this. Because working in sustainability, we talk about doing less bad. You know, how do we minimize our waste? How do we reduce our carbon? And it's really uninspiring <laughs> um, to say we're trying to get to zero. And I know it's one of the things that Michael Braungart talks a lot about in his book with Bill McDonough, you know, the famous book, Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things. They take the example of a cherry tree. And a cherry tree is not efficient in terms of the blossoms it produces. It produces an abundance of blossoms. And when they fall to the ground, they're not waste, they nourish the earth. And to be honest, this kind of abundance paradigm, it helps me get out of bed in the mornings when we're facing such huge systemic challenges. 
because of course we're not trying to get to a zero state we're trying to get to a regenerative state and while sustainability is good at defining the problem and managing the problem circular provides many solutions but where we're actually trying to get to is a regenerative and restorative economy yeah i just wanted to add in katia what you said around diversity you know biodiversity cultural diversity intellectual diversity i think that is such a key point when it comes to the topic that we are talking about cities you know how do we define or reimagine cities and how do we bring these principles of either the circular economy or cradle to cradle to a localized context and i think the big differentiator is when you're looking at hyper local local solutions or solutions for a city then you can't ignore this this diversity and that's you know specific to the city what is that cultural social context in the city what is the intellectual context what is the intellectual diversity of citizens what is the biodiversity context to the city as well so you make such an important point and i think that is the missing piece to apply you know the circular economy principles to cities so my question to you is in your experience and you know examples that you might have seen how can these cradle to cradle principles be applied to cities and communities and would love to hear from you around specific examples or case studies that you might have come across we started working in brazil in the favelas in the early 1990s to show exactly how the cradle to cradle principles could be applied mind you it wasn't even called cradle to cradle at the time but the intelligent product system but we still had the same idea so what we wanted to show is that wastewater from communities actually contains a lot of very valuable nutrients and that you could recycle those in land based and water based farming practices and uh, recover the nutrients profitably and basically clean the water as not an end of pipe technology but as a byproduct so we would benefit from the phosphate the nitrogen and the potassium in the water and grow a variety of plants and fish and in the process because of the composition of the facility that we designed we would purify the water also from pathogens through sunlight exposure and root systems and other things so that at the end of the facility we basically had discharge that met the european water regulation standards and it was very very successful because of course it had a very strong cultural component as well in the favelas where people might be poor but they're still very proud and they're very clean people and so we saw this strange situation where people would take three showers a day if they had enough water which in brazil usually wasn't a problem where we were but they'd still have the sewage running in the streets and so building a facility there had impacts on many different levels we we had two families operate what we called the bionutrient farm which was about a hectare in size but it's modular so it can be adapted and so it gave a family income through operating the facility harvesting taking care of the livestock and also 
including other families to produce value-added products. So that project is still very close to my heart and uh, has been successful uh, over the last decades. And they also spread into different countries. They went to Haiti uh, just before they had the big earthquake many years ago and built a similar system. And it was one of the very few systems, if not the only one, that survived the earthquake and continued purifying water, producing biogas for community kitchen. And as you know, the cholera outbreak after the earthquake was devastating. And the facility was then actually replicated to several thousand inhabitants. So to me, that is still one of the best projects known to address many different aspects, especially on diversity, on biological and technical nutrients and, and other aspects. A lot of the other projects are happening in more developed countries in Europe and in North America. We had EU projects that worked on cradle-to-cradle islands around the North Sea, trying to implement cradle-to-cradle aspects, partly on these islands, uh, tourism-driven, partly agriculturally driven. Cradle-to-cradle is often associated with products and materials. But I'm giving these examples to show that it can really be applied on a much, much larger scale. And then there was a lot of work done over the last 15 years in the Netherlands. Whole cities and communities took on Cradle to Cradle as a guiding design framework. The city of Venlo was one of the early adopters. There were others, and even Amsterdam has Cradle to Cradle principles, for example, for their procurement, but also how they build certain buildings There's work being done in Brussels. There are really so many examples that show that it goes much beyond using the design principles to design a product. And one thing that I wanted to pick up because you stressed so much how important um, diversity is. And in this context, in the Brazil-China project context, but also in cities, it's resilience. And resilience allows you to adapt to extreme circumstances. We see this uh, during the pandemic now as well. So the more diverse our systems, the more resilient. And we've had a tendency over the last decades to... Um, standardize things, to um, centralize things, to streamline things. And I think in the recent pandemic with uh, COVID, we've seen that we've lost resilience in the systems. And the natural uh, comparison is, is one that is, to us scientists, very obvious, and that is that a resilient forest with a a diverse population of trees and animals and shrubs is a lot more resilient to uh, the pine beetle, for example, than the monoculture of pine trees. So we see everywhere that um, nature works with this resilience approach 
fueled by di- diversity in in the systems and if we take that on for our cities i think that is a guiding principle to make them more resilient more regenerative i think um katia you really stole words out of my mouth we as you were explaining you know talking about those case studies the word that came to my mind was resilience and how these communities are leveraging um that that diversity that intellectual biodiversity the cultural diversity to actually create resilient systems for themselves um and you you know you totally you know i completely hear you and i completely agree on that you know we're almost in a culture of in the standardization um journey and 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 the uh, race to standardize to streamline to uh, make more efficient uh we're becoming uh, you know monoculture in you know many different context not just from a crop or agri context but also just our thinking and our social norms and our social contracts what you said just resonates with me and i think this is the key difference between a city that in the future is going to be resilient to pandemics or any other you know black swan events is actually leveraging the inherent diversity the city has So now from macro to micro let's go from thinking about cities to the products that flow through them. Cradle to Cradle is also as you mentioned Katya a certification that's a measure of safer more sustainable products made for the circular economy. And several years ago when I worked at EcoAge in the UK I was trained to become an assessor by the Cradle to Cradle Product Innovation Institute. Um in fact in Venlo the city that you mentioned earlier that follows the Cradle to Cradle principles. and at the time i felt that the c2c certification was the most rigorous assessment for products that i had ever come across and it requires increasingly rigorous achievement across five categories material health material reutilization renewable energy and carbon management water stewardship and social fairness So a lot of businesses were interested in getting their products certified um when I did this training but when they realized the amount of work involved how far down the supply chain that they'd have to look and that they'd have to have the materials in their products analyzed to 100 parts per million for toxicity and and material health it put a lot of them off but that was a while ago and since then it's really heartening to see that the certification has really grown in terms of acceptance um and there are a lot of materials and products that are now c2c certified and businesses that are willing to strategically commit to doing it so my question for you is how should we be thinking about the flow of materials and products from a cradle to cradle perspective across the city and in the city yui i think you've just put your finger on uh, what continues to be the challenging point and that is to go from an individual product which poses a lot of challenges to be optimized for healthiness healthy for people healthy for the environment and healthy for the economy that would be the ultimate goal to escalating it to a whole city and how do we deal with the mass of materials and and products that we have in a city so i think you can look at it top down and bottom up and then hopefully it meets so you need the overall perspective of a city and there i wouldn't obviously start with certification i would start with the topics that we already talked about resilience how do we do urban agriculture 
How do we build healthy cities? How do we deal with mobility? All these issues can be guided by the cradle-to-cradle philosophy and the design framework. But then when you want to break it down and say, okay, let's look at healthy buildings, for example, then we very much get to the material side of things because a building is a complex system of many different materials and products. But if I have the objective to design the whole building to be healthy for people, because, I mean, a building is basically packaging for people. So we want that packaging to be as healthy as possible. And the challenge is that we find that the indoor air quality in most buildings is worse than the outdoor air in our global big cities. So we are currently designing buildings that are everything but healthy for people. Many, many years ago, the big uh, newspapers started talking about sick building syndrome and other approaches. And one interesting thing I found in, in the research is that a lot of our efficiency measures have actually accelerated this because we are building more energy efficient buildings. But as a result, frequently, we can't even open the windows in those buildings anymore because it's all automated systems that manage the airflow and the climate control. But it also means that all the stuff that off-gasses from the products accumulates in these indoor environments. Katia, it's funny what you're saying about off-gassing because I remember when I first learned about that, it really took the joy out of new products. Understanding that that new carpet smell or that new car smell is really just chemicals that you're inhaling, unpleasant but pretty important. And so there, the cradle-to-cradle approach, obviously, is to say, okay, let's look at some of the main materials that are being used indoors. And there are a couple of really, really nice lighthouse products and stories of development exactly in the built environment. So a carpet, a sustainable carpet, uh, we can all imagine a carpet that uses less materials, less energy, less water, etc. But a cradle-to-cradle carpet is a carpet that has all of that, but also cleans the air. Because we're always looking at an added value, at a positive impact that a product can make in a defined use scenario. And so when you ask yourself under cradle-to-cradle design, how could I design a carpet? You go, well, what added functionality could a carpet have? And then it comes up in what I called an imagineering workshop. Oh, well, what could be the contribution to cleaning indoor air? And that then led down a road of product development that produced a carpet tile that also absorbs microparticulates from the indoor air. So that's one example. And then, you know, designing furniture in a way, mattresses, that's a good one for everyone because we all use them. They tend to off-gas quite badly. And designing a mattress that is actually 
safe for the long exposure to the human body over hours and hours is quite the challenge. But it can be done when you approach it from what you outlined are the five cradle-to-cradle certification criteria, which is where we look primarily at the material assessment, which is material health and material reutilization, but also the process. And that's the bigger picture then again. You know, what kind of energy do we use? How do we handle the water and the production? And with textiles, for example, social fairness stretching all the way to where do we get the fiber from? How do we tend to the fields? So you can explode a fairly simple product into quite a wide scope and that you need to determine at the beginning of certification how far you actually want to take it. So there are many different ways to approach cradle-to-cradle and cradle-to-cradle certification basically describes and summarizes it for a product. Thank you, Katya, for speaking with us and sharing your expert insights. Uh, There is so much more to your work. Thanks so much, Katya. It's been a real privilege to speak with you today. Very happy to be here. We will join Katya again in a future episode to talk about the Horizon 2020 BAM project, where BAM stands for Buildings as Material Banks, a project that Katya co-created. So stay tuned. To learn more about the work Katya is doing, visit us at projectmoonshot.city and on Twitter at moonshotcity. I'm Preeti Ambani. I'm Juhi Sharif. This is Moonshot City.